Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio and welcome to Rodeo Week. It is so great to have everybody here and it is so great to be back in rodeo with the full with that all going full speed again. I, I will just confess to you that as a transplanted Texans, a Texan, this is one of my favorite things about living in San Antonio. I get to wear my hat. I get to wear my boots, even though I wear those all the time. I get to kind of just act like a cowboy for a week, and it's just so much fun. And, and how many of you have already been to the rodeo? Have you already been yet? It's, is it good this year? Good so far? Anything exciting? I tell you, the thing, the thing that I love, I, I mean, I love the barrel racers. I love the Cutting horses, I love the you know, I love the mutton busting. Who doesn't love the mutton busting? Um, I love, but I think I think the thing that I love the most, I love the bull riders. I mean, there's there's just so much so much adrenaline that surges as soon as they open that gate and that bull comes out and that rider is there and the rider or excuse me, the bull has one job and that's to get rid of the rider and the rider has one job and that's to stay on for eight seconds and it's just this, this battle of wills and about you know, 2,000 pounds of, of flesh for, about, for, for that eight or however many seconds that it happens. But it is so exciting. But I tell you, they just, I mean, as, as the rider, as the bull are out there in the ring, just bucking up and down, side to side, crashing into things, everything like that. I just look out there and I am so impressed and I am so fired up and I'm so in awe and I'm thinking to myself, I am so glad that's not me. <laughs> because I love to watch it. I do not want to be there. It is a lot of fun. But, but let me ask you this. How many of you ever feel like that yourself? How many of you had one of those weeks where you felt like the gate opened and whatever it is that you were trying to stay on was trying to get rid of you? That the, no matter how hard you worked, no matter how hard, how much you had prepared, you were about to be thrown. You were going to be, you were going to be tossed. You were going to be turned. You were going to be shaken. You were going to be pushed to your absolute limits. And if you could just make it that eight seconds, if you could just make it to the end of this thing, it's all going to be okay. How many of you have ever felt like that? How many feel like that right now? Yeah. We all, we all know that pressure. Maybe it's longer than eight seconds, but whatever it is, eight seconds, eight weeks, eight months, eight years, 80 years, whatever it is, when it's happening, it is a wild and it is a hard ride. And you're just hoping you can hang on for the duration. That's something that we all understand in one way or another. You know, the early Christians to whom the book of Hebrews was written, they were in a pretty hard ride. They were suffering for their faith and they were suffering in ways that most of us never have or ever will have to suffer for our faith. They were enduring persecution. They had lost property. Friends and family had turned on them. They were losing their position in the culture. They were tired. They were scared. They were uncomfortable. They were in pain and they were under persecution and stress. And what they needed was some relief. They needed a break. And yet, as we've discussed over the last few weeks, they were in danger of turning their backs on the one person who could make a difference, the one person who could give them peace, and the one person who could give them the rest that they so desperately needed. 
And that's where we are. We're still in that part of the book of Hebrews. And the passage that we're studying today speaks to us, speaks to them in the same way that it speaks perhaps in that, in that bull riding analogy. They needed peace, and so do we. The problem is that they, like us, start looking for peace in all the wrong places. We look for peace everywhere, in things, in other people, when we should be looking for, pay, for peace with God. And so this week, we're going to be talking about the peace of God and about what the author of Hebrews calls God's rest. So now we're going to turn back to the scripture to chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews, beginning in the first verse. And I've got to tell you, after 25 years of ministry, reading through, interpreting, trying to figure out how to preach this passage has been one of the roughest rides of my ministry. And I guarantee you it's going to take me longer than eight seconds to get through this. But you all know that because you know me. But let's turn, and I, and I, want, you to, I want you to just hang on because this passage is going to try to buck you. Okay? We are actually reading a sermon within a sermon within a letter. And it is going to try and throw you, but we have to stick with it all the way to the end. So, so just stay with us, and we'll try to unpack it in just a moment. But beginning in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying that through, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken on, of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of joint, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The grass withers. And the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Today we ask, O oh Lord, that you would help us to, to understand, to hold on to the end and to, 
and to really draw from this passage that which you would have us to hear today about your rest, not only your eternal rest, but the rest you offer us right now. We pray these things in the name of your Son, our, Holy, uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. You still holding on? It's tough to get through that particular scripture reading. There's a lot to untangle, a lot to sort out here, but we're going to take this through together. So what is God's rest? Well, here's my definition for it. Rest is peace in the promises and presence of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as the author of Hebrews presents it, the rest of God has been presented in Scripture in several different ways, three that he notes in this passage. So there are three words that I want you to think about related to God's rest and the way God has told us about the peace that he brings us. The first, in Israel's ancient and Old Testament history, rest meant settlement. Settlement in the promised land. The second, for the believer's future, rest means eternal salvation. That's the second way that he talks about rest. And third, for the right here and the right now, for the believer's present, rest, the word rest, means Sabbath. So again, consider those three words, settlement, salvation, and Sabbath. And we're going to look at how he evolves this argument and understanding of what God's rest means and what it means for us. So going back to last week, last week, the author of Hebrews offered us this cautionary tale from Israelite history. In the story, the author of Hebrews likened the rest of God, that is to say the peace of God, to settlement of the promised land. The rest of God, as he describes it here, is that promise of freedom for weary slaves and rest in their homeland. Now looking back to the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, God gave the people of Israel their freedom from slavery and he promised to return them to the land promised to Abraham. But on the way to the promised land, remember this, on the way to the promised land, the people became fearful. And that fear led to doubt, not only in God, but in Moses as well. The people were scared, they were tired, they were uncomfortable, they were hurt. And in their discomfort, they gave in to complaining. They gave in to greed. They gave in to a variety of other sins, including idolatry and perversion and blasphemy. The people rebelled first in petty ways and then in huge ways. And God was so angry that he declared that they deserved destruction, but instead the Lord gave them a life sentence, a life sentence in exile. And they were sentenced to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Now we, we hear about that wilderness wandering and we have to remember that the Hebrew people did not get lost. This was not a detour. This was not a delay. It was a reset. 
God delayed them from entering the promised land because he intended to reset the entire nation and start over with a new generation who would be faithful to him. And so we read that the Lord declared, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That rest that he's talking about is the hope and the promise and the entrance into the promised land. So we, so we were left in a pretty hard place with that. But... This is the great part. This is where the Hebrew, the author of Hebrews says this, but there is good news. He says, even though the Exodus generation blew it and never entered the promised land, the next generation, their children were given a second chance. And just as the next generation was given a new opportunity to live free from slavery in the land that God promised, so Jesus Christ has given us a new opportunity to live in the rest and the peace of God. Here's what he's saying. Because of Jesus Christ, the promise of entering his rest still stands. Now with that statement, the author of Hebrews has taken his argument to a whole new level. The settlement of Canaan, the land of promise, that was not the final plan for God's people. Instead, the rest that God has in mind, or the rest of what God has in mind for his people, is much bigger than settlement in the land of Canaan. Because listen to this, he says, if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. So the rest of God of which he speaks is more than just an earthly reality of freedom and settlement in the promised land, in a homeland. It's much more than that. It's a spiritual and an eternal rest. And it is the promise of salvation. Are you still with me? Still on the ride? Still on the bull? Okay, good. The rest of God described here is that promised rest of eternal life. Our desperate final hope when all other hope is lost. So Hebrews says, that Jesus is the founder of our salvation. It says, he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone and bring many sons to glory. Now we know that through his death, he died the death that we deserve. But then through his resurrection, God has proven his power over death and he has shown us the way to eternal life. Because we all know that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have eternal, everlasting life. So what the author of Hebrews is saying is that we will rest from our labors when we have gone to be with God. We will rest from our labors. He will wipe away, wipe away every tear 
We will be with him in paradise and we will come to see him face to face. We're going to be saying a lot more about that in the future. And so there was rest in terms of settlement in the history of Israel. There's rest in terms of the eternal future that we live with God through salvation in Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. But there is another understanding of rest. There's a third dimension to this concept and it is captured by the word Sabbath. The author of Hebrews writes, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. So here's what's happening. The author of Hebrews has taken us back to the original, to the foundational understanding of the rest of God. All the way back to Genesis, to the garden, to the creation of the Sabbath. Here's what Genesis says. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of heaven with them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The rest of God described here is the rest that God promises in the midst of life. When we are weary of life. It is that rest that comes when we think we cannot hang on any longer. I want to take a moment and look in detail at the word rest. The word that we translate as rest is the Greek word katapausis. Katapausis. And the root of the word is P-A-U-S. Pause. Just like it sounds. And it means pause. It means take a break. It means to cease from activity. It means to rest. And Genesis tells us that God built a day of rest, a day of pause, a day of cessation of activity into the schedule of the universe because he knows that without it, we will either work or worry ourselves to death. And so Genesis says, the Lord took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. That was part of of why God made us to work and to keep the garden. But I want you to think about work in the garden compared to work now. In the garden, work was about stewardship of God's creation. Every need and desire that they had was already supplied. And so everything they did for God to keep and maintain the garden was a labor of love. It was a labor of worship. It was a labor of glory. But then something happened. Then we fell in sin. And after the fall, 
If we read Genesis chapter 3, work became about survival. From now on, it was no longer just driven by love. It was driven by fear. The fear that if I stop working, if I take a breath, if I take a break, if I pause to get to know God, to know God better, to spend time with my God, to spend time with my family, then my family will, they'll suffer. They'll starve. I won't be able to pay my bills. My competition will eat me alive. I'll fall behind. I'll let everybody else down. That's the pressure that work put on, that the, the fall put on our work and our labor. That's not how work was created. But we no longer see it as an act of stewardship anymore, do we? We see it as a matter of survival. But you know what? God wants to give us a rest from all of that. A break from that. A pause. A Sabbath from all of that. Because he knows that we need rest. Tim Keller writes, the Sabbath is about restoring the diminished. It's about replenishing the drained. It's about repairing the broken. And so God gave us the Sabbath because he knows that we're, that we're starving. Not only for food, but for purpose, for love, for clarity, for meaning, for connection, for healthy relationships. He knows about our physical pains, our bodies broken by sickness and injury. He knows about mental illnesses and the broken hearts that leave us anxious and depleted and confused and withered. He knows that we are burned out and tired, especially after two years of COVID and two years of political ugliness and uncertainty of war right now. And the God of creation, the Lord of the Sabbath, knows how much we need rest, even when we don't think we need it. The great sadness about our understanding of the Sabbath is that we think that God demands the Sabbath from us because he needs it. And what we need to understand is that God has given us the Sabbath as a gift because he knows we need it. Beyond the physical, our Father is concerned about our spiritual health. And that's why he sent his Son to deal with our spiritual health as well as our physical health. And the Son of God came to deal with our spiritual health in two, two ways. First, he came to calm those fears that we've had ever since the fall. Those fears that gnaw at our peace. The second thing he did was to restore our broken relationship with our Father. You see, ultimately, Jesus came to give us peace from the thing that we fear the most, which is what? It's our mortality. The fear of mortality is not just the fear of dying. The fear of mortality is the fear of getting old. It's the fear of getting sick. It's the fear of getting hurt. It's the fear of losing the people and the life that we love. But we read in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus Christ gave his life to set us free, not only from 
death itself, but from the fear of death and from all the other fears of mortality, great and small, that stalk us every day. And in its place, he gives us a peace that comes from knowing that even if we die, we will live. That comes from knowing that he will not let us go and that he holds us and he holds those we love and he holds everyone who trusts him in his hand with an unfailing grip. And so in place of the fear of death, he's given us the peace of knowing that God holds us in the palm of his hand. And then he also gives us back that other thing that was lost, that thing that is even more precious. He gives us back our relationship with God by giving us peace with God. If you think back to the book of Genesis, in the garden, Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God. A face-to-face relationship with God where they walked with God in the cool of the day. But then what had been perfect was shattered by disobedience. And the peace of Adam and Eve, the peace they once had, was polluted by shame. And so Jesus Christ came not only to take away the sting of death, but to take away the ache of shame that separates us from God and to restore the relationship that we are supposed to have, that we were made to have with God our Father. Paul says, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach before him. And so Sabbath is not just a day, and Sabbath is not just time off. Sabbath is pausing to find the rest that God promises in his presence. To find that rest in prayer. To find that rest in the study of his word. To find that that rest in meditation on his truth, to find that rest in fellowship with his people, to find that rest in worship of his glory. Did any of you all see the sunrise this morning? If you saw it, it would just evoke the most spontaneous praise. See, the Sabbath of God, we tend to think of it as as just coming to church, but Of course, the Sabbath can be in a church, but that peace in the presence of God can also be home, at home, in a quiet place. That peace with God, that peace in God can also be by the water or on a mountain or in the woods or on a sunny windswept hill or on an apartment balcony. It can be in the city or in the country. It can also be in a prison cell or in a hospital room, or a dorm room, or in a barracks. The point is this, that it doesn't matter as much where you are. The Sabbath can be wherever you need it most, because it's not about where you are, it's about whom you're with. Are you taking time to be with God, to find 
his peace in his presence. What matters is whom you're with. Several years ago, I had a friend named Bill Herndon. He was a veteran of World War II. He was a paratrooper, and he was captured by the Germans, I think, in 1944. Bill was held in a POW camp for several months, and the only scrap of comfort that he had was a letter from his mother. And on the back of that letter, she had written out Psalm 91. The psalm begins by saying that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And it closes with these words. When he calls me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And one time I just kind of jokingly, tongue-in-cheek, said to, said to Bill, I asked Bill, so, you were in a POW camp. When did the Lord rescue you? <laughs> he said, he rescued me every day because he was with me in that camp every day. Wherever you are, what matters is whom you are with. So I need to close this up, but I'm, this is too important to jump over. He gives us a warning at the end of this passage for today. The last part of this passage comes as a word of warning. A warning that God takes the Sabbath seriously. He says this, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In a great little book called The Confessions of a Habitual Sabbath Breaker, pastor and author Eugene Peterson makes several troubling observations. He says that he has found that we don't really take the Sabbath seriously. Even though the Sabbath commandment is the only commandment people freely break, it's also the single most repeated command in the Bible. He says that judgment is pronounced over, the, over Sabbath breaking more than any other commandment. And he also says that wherever the Sabbath is kept, the other commandments fall in line. Where it is neglected, the other commandments are threatened. We need to understand what the Sabbath is, that it is a gift of God. When Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, he was not belittling his father's command or saying that we can take it or leave it, use it or abuse it. He was saying that the Sabbath is a gift from God for our blessing. But it's not a gift like jewelry. It's not a gift like toys. It's a gift like food. It's a gift that we need, that God freely gives, and that we neglect at our peril. And when we deprive ourselves or others of its blessings, we're depriving humanity and ourselves of one of God's most important gifts and resources. Disobedience will not take away Christ's payment for your sins. 
but it will take away your peace as you move away from the presence of God. You see, when we neglect the Sabbath, then we are in danger of losing what we were made for. We're in danger of losing what we need and what we desire most. Peace and the promises of God. We will never have what we want most until what we want most is God. As St. Augustine said, O Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I think the old hymn says it best. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. A place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. A place where all is joy and peace near to the heart of God. O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before thee near to the heart of God. The Sabbath rest is that place near to the heart of God. The Sabbath is that point in time and space where our lives and the, etern and the eternity of God intersect. And it is where the peace of his presence fills the moments of our right now. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we need your rest. We don't want to admit it, and we don't want to admit, admit that our fears are stronger than your promises. At least that's the way we see it. We walk away from the most precious gift that you've given, your presence in our daily lives, the opportunity to spend time with you to find peace in your presence and in your promises. Lord, help us to seize this precious gift, especially when we feel bucked and throned, when we feel pushed and stretched, especially, Lord, when we feel like we have nowhere else to turn. Help us turn to you and find the peace that only you can provide. We pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.